Welcome to the Northwestern Bachelors of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. The breadth of college sports has been a focus for us recently, and we've covered a range of topics with a focus on the shifting dynamics of college athletics, especially when it comes to things like name, image, and likeness. While these are interesting and important topics to all that college sports is today, there's so many other rich topics to cover, including the student-athletes themselves and the infrastructure needed to support college athletics. When we hear the word attorney or lawyer, the first thought that comes to our mind is often true crime shows or podcasts that are so popular today. Something that my spouse, who is an attorney as well, often reminds me is that what we see in the media overrepresents how many attorneys practice this type of law. Our guest today, Lakeisha Marsh, is a prime example of someone who's a practicing attorney that leverages that unique set of skills in ways that many of us didn't even know existed. Lakeisha is a partner at Ackerman LLP and serves as the chair of Ackerman's Government Affairs and Public Policy Practice Group, leading a bipartisan team of professionals providing strategic counsel on policy and regulatory issues in the United States. With a comprehensive legal background serving the higher education sector, including as an NCA staff member, Lakeisha also serves as the chair of Ackerman's Higher Education and Collegiate Athletics Practice. She represents colleges, universities, and related institutions on federal and state regulatory compliance, accreditation, state licensure, institutional governance, and collegiate sports and NCAA compliance-related matters. Lakeisha has structured and executed a broad range of transactional, restructuring, finance, and corporate governance matters for educational institutions. She holds numerous leadership positions at the firm, including as a member of the firm's board of directors and co-chair of its Women Initiative Network. Lakeisha received a Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science from Clark Atlanta University and her law degree from Loyola University Chicago School of Law. In addition, Lakeisha teaches the legal and ethical issues in sports course in the Northwestern MSA program. With a varied background, unique set of skills, and incredible experience, Lakeisha views college athletics through a lens that provides incredible insight. So we hope you all enjoy this conversation with Lakeisha Marsh. Keisha, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. So there's so many topics around college athletics that I, that I want to dig into with you, but you've had such a, you know, a really cool career in both law and sports. And so can you take us back for the listeners, sort of how you got into that initially and sort of how that's evolved? I'm um, sure. So I was a college athlete. I actually played volleyball at Park Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so even prior to that, I, you know, if I go back to high school and, and, and even middle school where I picked up a volleyball and actually learned how to play volleyball, not realizing that it would spring would be the foundation of what is now my career. And so I played volleyball at Clark Atlanta University, but I always knew that I wanted to go into law. So I actually left you know, when I graduated from CAU, I actually needed a break. So I actually went into consulting for like two years um, because that was the top. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't go any longer than that. And then went into law school. So my first year of law school, very first semester, I actually was a business consultant for Accenture driving back and forth from Milwaukee to Chicago for evening classes. So I started in Loyola's part-time program and transferred after one year to the full-time program. From there, 
Um, I actually took a position with the NCAA and I had been, while I was a student athlete at Clark Atlanta University, I had served on the Division II Student Athletic Advisory Committee for the NCAA. So that's really when I got my full throttle into um, being a student athlete and working with the NCAA. After law school, I actually applied for a position online and it was so fun. It's always funny because I say my application was pulled from my staff liaison while I was a college student at the NCAA. So Lynn Hoseman had actually seen my resume, pulled it, pulled it out, called me in for an interview. Um, and then the rest is history. I was at the NCAA um, in Indianapolis for about three years, left there, went into um in-house at uh, TCS education system. And I was a higher ed. That's where the higher ed experience comes into play. I did that. Then I had an outside counsel that kept telling me that I needed to come into private practice and, and, and just combine my skills, um, both on the collegiate athletic side and the higher ed side to a, a firm that brings me to Ackerman where I've actually, you know, um, was supported by the firm to start its higher education and collegiate athletics practice. And so I spend most of my time um, either in college athletics issues or strictly higher ed issues. But all day long, it's colleges, universities and athletic associations. It's a really interesting path. And and I want to dig into some of those pieces around higher education and college athletics, especially as it pertains to law. But had you finished law school by the time you started working with with the NCA? Yes. So I had I after uh, college graduated go to, you know, go off business consulting for the two years I did that and then start law school and then was reconnected back to the NCAA um, once I graduated from law school. And I observed, I, I always tease and joke and say, I just can't get you know rid of the NCAA because when I went into private practice or when I left the NCAA and went to TCS, I still worked with the NCAA as a committee member, their public committee member on their infraction appeals committee, which I eventually held on to until the NCAA became a client of mine where I had to cut that tie and kind of flip, you know, flip my role. And now I represent them. You know, so much, so many of us know, obviously the NCAA from, well, a lot of our listeners participate in athletics. Yeah. Right. Just, <laughs> But what's, I don't think that most people understand, I think a lot of people see it as, well, this is just an umbrella of all of these institutions. And I don't think see the inner workings of all that they do to ensure that, that college athletics can, you know, function as at the scale that it does. I think that, you know, what did, what, what did you learn at the NCA? What was the most interesting part of being there that you learned from, you know, and I think you probably have interesting, interesting experience too, coming from being a college athlete into that experience. So I think it was, I learned that the NCAA is not the big fat people that had sat in Kansas City now in Indianapolis. Um, It's not the people that are just there collecting, but it really is staff that's doing what the membership wants and what the membership needs. And so when people think about, well, you guys make all of these rules, you know, that with the college athletes, you're making all the rules. No, we're really not. It's a membership, you know, driven organization that truly the membership determines what rules are in place. They vote on it. And we as staff, when I was there, 
are responsible for carrying that out. And so when you think about that and then all the strategic and the behind the scenes of these great championships that all of the college athletes actually participate in, there are staff who actually do that. It just doesn't just happen. It's people whose job is to make sure that that stuff is done. And the same as when it comes to rule interpretations and, and enforcement of you know the rules that the membership actually makes, it's the NCAA that actually does that. So it's keeping so much of college athletics functioning. It's the behind the scene, the staff that, you know, doesn't always get the glory as most people actually think. But it's those people that are doing all of those things, good, bad or indifferent, um, how you feel about the NCAA. But it really is something we're just carrying out the things that the membership is looking for. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you think that from professional sports, that's sort of the, the remit of a, of a commissioner, right? Of that the, you know, they are work for the ownership. And so it's similar function there. But I, I think it is interesting because a lot of myself included, you don't think about on a day-to-day basis, the inner workings of, of really what happens there. But I guess, you know, full disclosure, my roommate, she is a, she's an attorney. So I, I get lots of attorney speak. Um, but I guess if you sort of spin that forward, I think what's really interesting about attorneys, and I don't know if you think this is true, is that because of the training or whatever it may be, you all bring a different level, a different way of thinking about things, which I think is really interesting. And I am not, I don't have that same set of skills, but I would be interested if my assessment there is true. And if that is true, do you think it has helped in an application to athletics? Yes. Yes. Your interpretation, I definitely believe. And and it's so funny because it's that training that is your foundation. So it's, I always get this, like, stop lawyering me or stop being a lawyer. And I'm like, that's, it's now a part of me. Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. I spend most of my time doing that and you just see things differently. And when it comes to athletics, I will say one of the, one, one thing that I've realized is being a lawyer from the outset of things, when we think about college athletics or sports in general, you really see the surface of things. You really see the immediate impact. For instance, we can take NIL. It's a shame that these you know student athletes are not being paid. And it stops there. The public perception is the big back votes are not paying these student athletes. They should be paid. Got it. But with payment comes a whole host of other things. So as a lawyer, you're not thinking about the one issue that's right there in front of you. You're thinking about, well, do we know what this means? So if we if we pay student athletes, what does that mean? Oh, that's there's tax implications. There are you know Title IX implications. You know there are reputational impl- implications, and the fact that too there are age difference clearly in being taken advantage as a young athlete that becomes the issue and then further that down okay now there's some discrimination because are you going to only play certain you know athletes and not pay other athletes male versus female so our minds don't just stop at the whole you should pay these student athletes it literally is beyond that and some of the rationale and the reasoning for the actions that we take or how we advise is based on the fact that we're thinking a lot about a lot more than just the surface issue it's true. And, and as someone whose spouse does that for a living, it can be infuriating because it, <laughs> it applies to sort of all facets of life, which maybe isn't uh, 
always needed, but I think it really is. So, you know, it's such a, it's such a cool way of being able to see all sides of a situation. Like, you know, there's a good example with NIL and those things that, that could come up. And so, you know, when you spin that forward to, to your work in, in private practice, tell us sort of what is, what is the higher education college athletics practice entail? So we focus um, on representing colleges and universities on a whole host of things. And so from the college athletic side, whether it's an enforcement issue or an investigation or a Title IX matter, um, we'll represent an institution, whether it's labor issues, you know, we're currently involved heavily in that and, and what's going on there, um, lit- litigation. So whatever the needs that come up from the aspect of the institution side, we primarily handle those things in college athletics. Um, it could be policy development, name, image, and likeness space, helping institutions create their NIL policy, um, helping other organizations put together their NIL policy, and then helping businesses create contracts that actually would benefit student athletes and not necessarily um, take it, you know, take advantage of certain student athletes, which we know, we know it's all done. It's, it's, it it is what it is, but kind of providing that guidance and that advice um, in that area, in the area of, you know, collegiate athletics, whatever it may entails. It's a, it's never a dull moment and it's always changing. No day is ever the same. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like that. I mean, I think that's, again, one of the interesting things is that you think of that on the surface, sort of that higher education collegiate athletics practice, someone like myself thinks, well, what, what would that entail? Why would there, but when you dig down into it, all of those things, extremely important for student athletes, universities, anyone involved in sort of the sphere of college athletics for the lay person, you don't think about that, right? You don't think that, oh, this university needs a lawyer or, you know, a set of attorneys to, to work through these things. And so I think it's really interesting and illuminating to see all of the pieces that go into, you know, that work from a university perspective. No, I, and I get that question all the time, like colleges and universities have attorneys, they need lawyers. And I'm like, yes, you know, a college, even if it's not athletics, a college or a university gets sued, a college or a university buys another college or in universities, there are contracts, all of these things that be operational things where everyone to the layperson they see it as just a part of the the institution. Well, it took steps to get there. It took steps. And nine times out of 10, there is some legal implication um, that this whatever you see on the surface is impacted by law or just negotiations to get things that you want on your campus. So it's, you know, another part of what you do, and may, I don't know if there's a, a, a interplay between the two, but, you know, you are sort of responsible for the, the government affairs and public policy, policy practice as well. Is there, well, one, what does that mean? <laughs> and number two, and I think I know what it means, but number two, is there any overlap in those two things? Yes. So the government affairs and public policy at at Ackerman is actually a split area in which I actually have oversight over the firm's lobbyists, as well as lawyers that work in particular regulatory areas. um, And that could be international trade, cannabis, um, higher education. Um, so I I work there and then I have the lobbyists that actually I have oversight for that area. And that's in any industry that you think about those that are on Capitol Hill. Those are state and local level as well. And just oversight over those practices. And in the higher ed and collegiate athletic space, that definitely 
definitely crosses. Um, I have clients that we provide where we're their lobbyists. And so I have a team of folks that actually will be at the Department of Education, will actually be on the Hill lobbying for what institutions actually want. The same with athletics. When you think about everything now, we think about these state NIL um, laws that came into place. And when we think about, you know, the NCAA and we need federal legislation and what's happening in terms of having a voice for the student athlete, all of that entails a lobbyist who is on Capitol Hill um, that's working to ensure their clients' interests are are taken into consideration. Title IX, that's a big one right now, and just what's changing in the higher ed space. And as that changes, making sure that their clients' voices are heard. And so we provide those services um, from, from that government affairs public policy practice to higher ed institutions, as well as the legal aspect of it, which is where me and my team fall. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I think that you know, surface level, you could see where there could be some level of overlap in that. But it's interesting to see sort of the components that you talked about. You've mentioned it a couple of times, and you and I have talked about this in private and public forums before. But name, image, and likeness is obviously a thing that that is top of mind for you. And, and we can talk about that. I don't want to hammer it because you, you know we've talked about it a bunch. But are there other issues or situations like you mentioned Title IX and name, image, and likeness? Are those sort of the most prevalent? situations that you deal with on a day-to-day basis or is it more all-encompassing no it's more all-encompassing i just those are just those are the things that are like the public has taken hold of and they're just running with it um but on a day-to-day you have the same thing same issues you still have the health and safety issues that's going on you know with student athletes and making sure they're protective right now should student athletes be employees is you know is a hot topic and everyone has kind of latched on to that and it's just running with it. Um, but it's the same when you think about the transgender issues. I'm still dealing, you know, I deal with that when it comes to, you know, student athletes and, and institutions and, and their policies in which they're putting in place. And then the changing landscape of what will college athletics look like? Will it be the same? Um, is it going to be something that's regulated Outside of the NCAA, it's Congress, you know, all of these state actors going to hop in and and be, you know, and and regulate the space. Um, There's a lot of different things. I I laugh because I love to get the call for just have to handle an investigation. That's just like, oh, those are the easy things of the past, just that you violate this rule and we have to investigate that. Those are the things that you just smile at now because before it was so much of that. Now it's like in the back, you know, it's, it's, it's a minor part of my day-to-day work. Now I, I will say it's more of these big hot topic items that I'm seeing um, and my team are working on. Is that because institutions are getting better at ensuring that they, they, they don't violate those rules or is it because of all the other things have just gotten so much bigger? I think it's because all of the other things have just gotten so much bigger. I think you're still seeing the violations occur. Um, you're just not hearing so much about it. I, I think it's not, it's no longer sexy is how I like mm. like to call it. I'm like, it's no, no longer one of the sexy top topics to talk about right now. It's name, image, and likeness. It's student athletes. It's coaches' salary. It's all of those things that you see on the news that people grab hold of and it just explodes. So you've mentioned it a couple of times and I think that, you know, we've talked about it a lot before, but with name, image, and likeness, it, it's, it's a really interesting you, how you phrased it earlier is that you know I think a lot of people on the surface look at it as well student athletes should be paid in some way, and 
I think there is merit to that too. But like you talked about, there's a lot of digging underneath that. And so, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago and it continues to evolve. I guess, can you give us sort of a, a landscape of how name, image, and likeness is playing out now or anything that, that you think is is timely or interesting around name, image, and likeness today? So I think what will it look like is, you know, right now, I think if we rolled out name, image, and likeness, and I think there was such a everyone wanted it so badly. And I don't think there was a lot of, you know, thought given into what this, does this mean? It goes back to that surface thing, but what does it mean later on? And so now you're seeing states roll back their policies because what they thought they were accomplishing, they weren't really accomplishing. And um, now you're seeing more so of, okay, so what does this look like for students? You know, and right now for some students, this looks great, but then you also have, a little bit of now this ties into the title nine well are women athletes doing just as well as male athletes even deeper or or your white student athletes doing better than your black student athletes so then you have those discrimination issues and then also at the end of the day you're putting could be potentially millions in a hand in the hands of 18 year olds and even more so what people are missing we think college athletics is the big college athletes are really the target I mean, I have a I have an 11 year old soccer player niece who they're getting approached to to wear my cleats or wear it. So it's affecting it's going so far back that no one thought about that because we've only been focused on the college athlete, the college athlete. But an eight year old, a nine year old, a 10 year old, the impact that that has on them, it's no longer fun to play. Now I have to play because I want to get that NIL deal or I want to get, you know, where the Nike cleats or I want, you know, I want them to want me on their Instagram page, whatever that might be. It's taken away a little bit in the youth area from the fun of just going out and actually playing to have fun. Yeah, it, it does seem there's so, I mean, as a student athlete and you have more insight into this than me, but there's so many responsibilities anyway, right? To try to balance your academics and try to balance being an athlete. And then today trying to balance the fact that, you know, with it, I think it's a great thing that, that there's so many avenues for content that can be consumed and, and more, you know, competitions are, are able to be viewed, but then it does put student athletes in a spotlight. Right. And so you have all of those things. And then you add this on top of it. That's another layer of pressure. That's that's there for them. Oh, yeah. And then just just the public, just being public and everything, social media nowadays, everything you do is on camera. So you're no longer a private person. And when you are a college athlete, especially some of the big names, you're you're no longer a private like the public feels like they are entitled to a piece of you. They're entitled to know what you're doing. They're your when you mess up. They're going to call you out and they do it in some of the meanest and hateful ways. And as an 18 year old, I got to cope with that. Like, what does that mean? The pressure that that actually brings on an 18 year old while it's all great when it's all good. But what happens when things are bad and the pressure and what that does to our young athletes now is yet to be seen. And unfortunately, I feel like there will be a negative impact with that. You know, you're seeing the rise in suicide from college athletes because of the pressure, just the mental health and the mental health aspect of this 
folks didn't think about. We're, we're, we're back to just once again, just that surface thing, but not seeing that the consequences of the actions that we actually take when we do rush and impromptu type of decisions just to appease the noise, just to quiet the noise. It's like I, I like to call it. Well, or just to hit the top line goal of the, the goal that everybody sees in front of them. I think that you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot of pressures for those student athletes in, in a lot of those senses, right? I think, I do think, and I've been heartened to see this in some ways, but, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of student athletes in, in our courses. And I actually think that they, unlike someone who, you know, I, I barely knew life before the internet. Um, but I think the growing up, you know, and student athletes today have grown up this way. And so I think they have a better understanding of you are living your life as a public person. But the hard part is, you know, with professional athletes, sort of the social contract was, well, you're getting paid a lot of money to do this. You're going to take some, for lack of a better term, abuse, whether it's in the media from fans or whatever it is. But that same contract or same sort of social norm doesn't apply or shouldn't apply to young kids that are trying to get an education and, and play a sport at the same time. Yeah. I mean, look at the athletes, even they break under the pressure. I mean, you got people running into the stands and you have the fights between the fans and the players, even that, like that becomes a huge thing. And so they break and in a sense, and they're being paid and there's a lot of education for them. And there's a lot of the expectations are laid out for them going into, uh, you know, being a LeBron James, being, you know, the next, whatever, there is a lot of expectations that's placed on that person that as that professional, they've had time and the resources to be able to help deal with that. Where all of our student athletes, unfortunately, they're not going to have that. They're not going to have those same resources to help them actually handle that. And and, and our brains shoot. I feel like I'm still developing and I'm well past my years, but just at that age, I couldn't even imagine being a student athlete with all of that going on right now. Like I am happy I was a student athlete in the days where you couldn't just flip up a camera and you like every, there was no Facebook and social media, you know, all of that. Um, a few years later, I'm not that old, but a few years later it came. But the fact that I had been past all of those things. So I'm like, I could be a college student and didn't have to worry about the fact that I played volleyball and what I did then actually popping up on somebody's Instagram account or the news catching wind of it. I could just live my life. And, and that was great. They don't have that luxury. No. And I think that you're right. It's, it's terrifying in the sense that I think about when I was not even an athlete, just a, just a student, just a human <laughs> being living my life. I, I'm really glad that those things didn't exist. And so, I mean, I think you hit on an interesting thing though, being an athlete, do you look at what's going on today? Name, image, and likeness, the ability to to have some, you know, walking around money. I, I don't, I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't think that a lot of student athletes are going to make millions of dollars, but, but do you look at that now as someone who played a sport in college and think, well, that would have been nice. It would have been nice to be able to make some money. Or do you think that the, you know, all of the overhead that goes with that is not worth the the dealing with for for you at the time. I, I think, it, of course, yeah, it definitely would have been nice to make some money doing what I love to do. Um, but I, I I think it no longer becomes what I love to do, and it becomes a business, and that's a different type of different type of game we're playing at this point. Um, I take the same thing. I. So I owned a, a recreational black football league in Chicago, and it turned out to be one of the biggest, you know, co-ed black football. And I started the league 
based off of playing and the joy that it gave me as an outlet to actually play. And no matter what was going on with work, I knew on Sundays I'd go out, play, have a good time, not think about that. When I turned it into a business, there was no more joy because there were already other pressures that I had to think about it. And it was no longer my my outlet, it now was just another thing that I had to do that I was committed to. And I feel like I am, while it would have been great to actually have more dollars, you know, some dollars doing something that I love as a college athlete, I think the focus as to the meaning of me playing as a college athlete would have diminished because I would have now been consumed with all of the other realities that actually take effect from actually being paid. Right. I mean, I think that's really insightful in the sense that you become a professional before, you know, it's, it's in essence time to do that. And I think that that's, has been one of the really you know, cool things about amateurism, right. Is that that extension of being young and it, you know, if you are lucky enough to go on and play professionally, there is some level of preparing you for it. But I guess the last question about name, image, and likeness, you know, cause I think we, we talk about it a lot. I think with good reason, I think there's a lot to unpack with it. And I think there's a lot of people that are trying to understand it on all sides, but I think we hear about it from, or at least me from the student athlete side you know, the ability for student athletes to make money, how they're doing that platforms that help them do that, all these things. But if you look at it from a university side, how is that going? And what I mean by that is, are they still trying to figure out how they support student athletes, how they deal with the compliance of the laws, how they deal with their own thoughts of, of what this means for athletes? Do they take a hands-off approach? I guess we don't hear the university side of it as much as you hear, oh, student athletes can make money for themselves. Yeah. I, I think from the university side of it, it is still an area that they're unsure. How involved do we become? Well, we know we can't become too involved, but we also know that these are our students. So we can't just, you know, let them be. But we're skeptical because the moment we take a stance that might not be a the you know positive public opinion, then we're the bad guys and we take a hit. Um, from a PR perspective. But I think just with them, they are, universities are still trying to figure this out and how to now balance because I can't let my boosters have an impact. It's going to mess up my program. So then I have to worry about that. And then my recruiting, if I'm a coach, my recruiting is now different because students are demanding that they have an NIL deal, which really they shouldn't be. So there's so many changing things and I don't think we were all university student athletes were prepared for all of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of it, it come out of nowhere in a lot of ways. And I think that what's interesting about sort of the whole conversation is, you know, there's sort of been a drumbeat for a long time of, well, student athletes should be paid quote unquote in some way. And then when it comes, like you said, there's a lot of things to unpack with that. And it'll be really interesting to see how that evolves, you know, over the coming years. But I think, you know, I, I do think that it's not all, it's certainly not all gloom and doom from, from all sides. Right. I think there's oh, no. a lot of yeah. positive things about it and, you know, sort of spinning that forward is what do you think are the biggest opportunities right now in college athletics? Right. I mean, we talk about NIL, but what are the other things that are really, and I, I don't want to say issues because there's always issues with every, you know, what are the, what are the biggest opportunities in college, college sports right now that, that are really continuing to evolve? So I, I think this ongoing topic about whether or not student athletes will be employees. Um, that's another area that I think we see the surface and we don't know truly what that means. Um, I, I think that's, that's a, 
that's something. I think what's positive and something that we're seeing and that I think we'll continue to see is that the student athlete is recognizing that they have a voice, um, which I am very, I will be surprised um, with how that plays out. And I say that because I think from public, if you think of public perception, they think that all the things that they're pushing for, all student athletes want them. Hmm. And I, case in point, um, you hear the arguments that you, you know, the use of student athlete and why are we using student athlete? Because it makes students think that they don't have the right to do, or these athletes at college, that they may not have the right to do different things per bargain. Like it may, it, it, it limits them by putting that tag. Yes. The student athletes voice. They're like, no, we are student athletes. Like, why is there so much, you know, hang up on this? That is what we are. I am in, at college. I am a student while I'm at college and I'm an athlete. So it's a student athlete. I don't think about it's limiting me. I don't feel like it's limiting me from doing anything or it's it's signifying that I'm something else other than what I am. So I, I think that one big opportunity is the evolve. You know, we'll see the student athlete voice evolve and what that looks like. And that for me is an exciting thing to see, you know, the student athletes voice evolving where they're actually taking hold of, you know, their future and what it is that they want as a whole will be exciting. And I think that is something definitely to watch. Yeah. I think that is, I mean, I think that is exciting in the sense that, and I think driven a lot of times by student athletes, right. Of uh, to say, Hey, you know, for, if you look back historically, a lot of student athletes said, okay, what the coach says, and what they, this is how things go, right? And I think that there's certainly a merit to, you know, coaches and the tutelage that they give, but also still the room for those student athletes to, to carve their own path and, and those things. I think, you know, with that, do you see, you know, I, I grew up as someone that still remember, I went to two Big Ten schools for undergrad and graduate school. And I remember when there were 10 teams in the Big Ten and then 11 and now 14. Um, do, do you see conferences as being a thing going forward or being realigned or shifting around? And that, I guess the bigger question is, does that matter in any way in this modern age? You know, honestly, I really don't think that matters. I think all that is really a grab for just the teams um, and who would, you know, the potential of the um disbursements that those schools get from being a part of certain conferences and the conferences make from having their schools. But at the end of the day, I, I think you're still one school is playing the next school. And so it's just where they where they their secondary home is. It's like I for a student athlete. I don't think that's really going to matter. Am I an SEC player? Am I a Big Ten player? It's it's the preference of the individual. And some people like I, I don't care. I just want to play it and I want to win and I want a championship. When I when you think about um, Kansas, you know, everything was it was just Kansas. They didn't care what conference they you know, they they won the tournament. I, you didn't see the players like most people even watching wouldn't even know what conference Kansas is in. It was that school, that first home and that student athlete. And I think it, it's, it's the same. I think it'll, I don't think it really will make a difference. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting you bring that up because if you look at like even students today or, or people that I know, it, and I think maybe some of this came with a lot of the changing shit. Why is Rutgers in the big Ten? You know, like, 
have stopped caring about that. And I think your point is right of like, they see, okay, this is Kansas. I don't know what conference they're in anymore. Right. And it doesn't necessarily matter to me, but it's interesting because, you know, for such a long time, there was such a strong affiliation. I think part of that was obviously to do with all the things you talked about of the collective piece and, and the funds and the, you know, but there was also the media, right. And the, the media rights, but those have, have shifted and changed so much that, you know, you have the opportunity to be on television or, you know, your content or your games to be consumed no matter where you play. So I think it has less bearing on that these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The business model is shifting, um, which in with that shift in the business model shifts the priorities. Um, and, and I think we'll see, we'll continue to see the business model surrounding collegiate athletics shift and the priorities will change. So another big thing that we've seen, and I, I've seen it personally, and I think, you know, we're fortunate in Northwestern, I think student athletes do a great job of taking advantage of the opportunities they have from an educational perspective. But a lot of students have had, you know, the opportunity to get another year of eligibility and are, you know, using that. But that also comes with a lot of the change in in transfer rules and the ability to transfer and those things. Do you think, and I guess it's a question that, that kind of plays in the larger macro theme of the last two years, is that something that was a stopgap because of those last two years? Or do you think that sticks around forever? And do you think that has long-term implications or do you think it's a good thing across the board? So I have mixed feelings about that. And, and even when I think about like the transfer portal and things of that nature, there is something, there is some type of like, as a student athlete, to how I was recruited was important to me. And it was to know that a coach sought me out of all of these other players and came after me was different. Not because I dropped my name in, in a transfer portal and now I'm saying that, you know, I'm eligible, but to be, to be sought out means something, you know, you know, as an athlete. Um, and when I just put my name, while, while it's still the same, I'm making it known that I, I'm looking. It's no longer that you that you coach had to do your work to find out about me and you know all of those things. Now I'm giving you all the information for you to sit back and and, and decide. And I, I think it's a I like the idea of having students giving students more student athletes more flexibility in in transfers, especially those that truly need it. I like that. I just. I don't know if I necessarily like the portal um, and where that's going and how that's changing, you know, athletics and collegiate athletics as we know it. But I do like the flexibility that's that student athletes. And I do hope that that sticks around um, so that because there are sometimes there are just bad situations that you end up and and. You know what? When I was 17, you know, 16, 17, making a decision as to where I was going to spend the, the next four years of my life that was literally going to be the foundation in my springboard to for what I do next. Yeah, you make mistakes. I chose wrong. You know what? I, I, I was, wasn't mature and I was looking for the flash and all those things that were flashy to me as opposed to what actually resonated with me. I was blinded by all of that. Um, so, and I realized that I get there in a year and I realized that I made a mistake give me that opportunity to make a, you know, to correct that mistake and put me in a better situation at least once. I like that. I just don't know if it's through the portal that I'm actually a fan of. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? I think that it, in so many facets of life, there's, 
the ability to shift and change, you know, a do-over in some senses, or, or even for logical reasons, coaches leave. Um, you know, you were f- further away from family. There's family considerations, but I think you're right of, you know, the tossing your name in the hat and those things that brings up other situations too. So, you know, th- there's so many of these topics that we could dig into so much, but I guess that I'll get you out of here on this last question. And I think that, that it kind of ties everything together, but, you know, thinking about all these things and how they continue to evolve and, and, you know, your historical context, being a player and working at the NCAA and all the work that you do, you know, today, what does the NCAA, what do college athletics look like in five years and 10 years and 15 years? And I know that's a loaded question, but I think that, you know, I think a lot of these things that we've talked about play into that. And I'm sure there's things we've never even thought about that are going to impact that in the short, medium and long term as well. Yeah. So I think college, at, at, you know, college athletics will look different five, 10, 15 years. 15 years, I, I, 15 years, I'm hoping, I think it, it, it would die down. It, it, it will come towards the end where we don't hear as much as we do. But I think at least five years, I think it'll look different. Um, I think you still have the NCAA. I think it may be a different what the NCAA does and how it looks might be differently. Um, and that kind of impacts 10 years because most people are like, well, do we really need the NCAA? I think we do. And I think if we got rid of the NCA, what goes on that five years, you'll have another regulatory body that comes back in 10 years because we will see once again that whole we're taking making that rush decision to do away with everything because right now we think it's good. But when it plays out, we'll realize that there is some form of regulatory body that we actually need um, and what that looks like. If it's not the NCAA in 10 years, it will be something else. I don't think we get away from having some type of overarching regulatory body. All sports has it. Whether you look at it, the NBA, you have some type of league that is it is a governing or regulatory body. And I think the same will be for college ath- athletics. Most people will say, well, the universities can do that. I don't think that that's the public talking. I don't think that the universities actually want to take all of that on and the liability. Think about it. In college athletics, the one name that's being sued, that's being targeted, that's being whatever it is, is the NCAA. Never fails. You take away the NCAA, who takes that blame? Who takes that hit? I don't think the colleges or even the conferences actually want that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and something you don't think about. I mean, the grass is always green. If you look at it from something like where I come from, you know, Netflix announced yesterday, two days ago, that that they're going to have an ad-supported tier. And, you know, the promise of streaming services, we're going to get away from television with ads that aren't targeted at you. But guess what? We're going back to ads that aren't targeted at you. So it's like it all comes back around in that in that thing. So, yep. you know, I, <laughs> It, it will be really fascinating to see to see how these things evolve. And, and, you know, Lakeisha, we really appreciate your time and your insights. It's always great great to catch up. And and we appreciate all the things that you do for the, not only the program, but for, for giving us all these great insights and all these different avenues. No, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And and, and I enjoy um, speaking, especially when I don't have to bill for it. So that, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's nice. I, and it is good that I won't get to a, an itemized quarter hour. <laughs> exactly. So, well, thank you so much, Lakeisha. Thank you.